Well, Merry Christmas to you. Hopefully, uh, you have a wonderful Christmas tomorrow. I'm not sure about you, but sometimes we can get caught up in reading the Christmas story that we never stop to think that the people in the story are just like you and me. They're just like us. I stopped when I came to these verses a while back. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, which means he was doing everything he could religiously. And he did everything right religiously. And yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had character, he had integrity. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. I stopped to think, as a, as a man and as a husband, I thought about the shock, the disbelief, the anger that Joseph must have felt. I found myself asking questions like, what would I have told Mary? What would I have told my parents, her family? What would we have told our rabbi? What decibel level would I have, would I have reached in my anger? How would this have impacted my faith? Like, I did everything the right way, but Mary, I mean, how could she do everything the right way? She's obviously pregnant, and there's only one way to get pregnant. How could this have impacted how I viewed myself as a man? And then how would I have prayed? And here's a takeaway that I, I, I got from these verses, and, and maybe this is helpful to you. God intentionally prepared Joseph before he understood what he was being prepared for. See, like Joseph, sometimes we miss the, the forest from the trees. The evidence was there all along that God was intentionally preparing Joseph and the world for Jesus. And in fact, for, for Joseph, it started 41 generations before him as God was intentionally preparing Joseph and the world for the Christmas story. We'll see from the not-so-perfect family tree of Jesus that God was revealing the Christmas story. He was revealing that's for everyone. Hopefully we'll see this morning that God intentionally prepares us before we understand what we are being prepared for. But like Joseph, we can be spun up in shock and disbelief and heartbreak that those things become the focus and remove our attention away from God and how He will use those things in our lives. Do you know that God has a plan for you? He has a plan for me. He has a plan for us. And that plan never goes according to our plan. God uses the result of sin and pain and scandal and tragedy and choices, whether we've made or other people have made, to prepare you and I for His plan. And these things may have caught us off guard, but they did not surprise Him. He uses those things to show us that we do not have to be defined by sin pain, scandal, tragedy, or choices. All of us have been affected by the lives of those before us and those beside us in our family tree. And God uses all of those things outside of our control for His purpose, for His plan, and for our good. I'm not sure if you've ever been on Ancestry, MyHeritage, or 23andMe, but family trees are fun to, to research. And then there are some surprises. In, like the couple with three kids that found out that they were cousins. Did you hear about this? So just after a few months of dating, Selena married her husband, Joseph Kionis, in July 2006. Their families met, but they never in a million years 
thought that those two were related. So they found out earlier this year, almost 17 years of being married, Miss Selena says, quote, I was in shock. I was a little depressed over it, to be honest, but this was after we already had three kids and all of them are healthy. They have 10 fingers, 10 toes, but it was just a bit of a shock. But Joseph was like, babe, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. Just brush it off. I was like, should we get a divorce? Are we even supposed to be together? I started rethinking, and then after a while, I was like, nope, we are staying together. There's nothing we can do about it. I'm not going to let some blood come between us. And they found out that they had a, a great-grandparent in common. And then once they found that out, they, they, they stopped doing the research. See, the truth is that you may not be married to your cousin. But if we go back far enough in our family tree, there's some scandal, there's some pain, there's some tragedy, there's some horrible choice made by others, and that all leads to shame and embarrassment. Maybe, maybe there's an uncle who had dark secrets exposed that bring shame to your family. Maybe it's a great-grandmother who was involved in a scandal that has become a we-don't-talk-about-it situation. We have a brother or sister who experienced tragedy because of who they married, and it's hard not to think about it when we see our nieces and nephews. And the truth is, we all share in the same condition. We all share in the same human condition. And we, a few months ago, we were in a series called The Human Condition. We talked about how we all have this sin nature, that we are all have a propensity for selfishness and sin. Like we are drawn naturally to, to that. And that we all have a need for redemption for our lives. So as we gather this Christmas Eve, um, we're going to see how Matthew uses Jesus' family tree to reveal that Christmas is for everyone. It's for you, it's for me, it's for everyone. And the Christmas story is an invitation to come as we are, with all of our imperfections, knowing that in Jesus we find love and grace and the ultimate gift of redemption. So let's read the family tree of Matthew. And I'm not sure if you've ever done this before. It's a lot harder than it sounds. Um, there's some names I may get wrong, so please forgive me. But here we go. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amadab, Amadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife, Solomon the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, Jehoram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jatham, Jatham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amon, Amon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconah, his brothers at the time of his exile in Babylon. So the exile was 70 years. So after the exile in Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheotiel. Sheotiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of 
Abahu, and Abahu the father of Eliakim. Eliakim the father of Azar, Azar the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Elihud, Elihud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Mathan, Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile in Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Now, before we jump into the scandalous names in this list, here's something pretty intentional that Matthew did. Now, he points out that there are three sets of 14 generations, and that's really important, and here's why. To the Jews, numbers had meaning, and there was a Significant value to David's name. In fact, David's name equals 14. And so everyone was going back to, man, David was the greatest king that we had. And, and, and it's almost like Matthew wants them to understand God didn't make a mistake. Like, when you go back and look at David's life, you're going to find a line leading to Jesus. And then if you even go back and knowing that Jews were very proud to be part of Abraham's line, He's like, look, you can even go back even further that there are 14 from Abraham to David and then 14 from David to the exile that really marked our people and then 14 from they returned from the exile to Jesus. He said, God didn't make a mistake and he's helping us understand having three sets of 14 symbolized the completeness of God's plan or his sovereignty over history. He's like, listen, God did make a mistake and just so that this is very memorable for us. God did this. And there's evidence that God did this. As we look into Jesus' family tree, there are some that may be a shock because they did some really, they made some really bad and, and quite honestly evil decisions. And, and you know, when it comes to our family tree, it's natural for us to want to distance ourselves from people like that. But we find out that God closes the gap with them, comes to them, and he can use their story. Let's look at Tamar. Tamar was a Canaanite. She was not a Hebrew. She ends up being the daughter-in-law of Judah as she marries his son, Ur. Well, he ends up dying, and the law back then stated that the next-in-line brother would have been Onan was to marry Tamar. Well, he marries Tamar, but he did not want to produce an offspring with her. God struck him dead. Judah looks at the situation and is thinking, man, this is not good. This is not good. I have my, my youngest son. I don't want to marry him off with her. So, Tamar, I want you to go live with your parents, and when he gets older, we'll make it thing work. Well, he was not planning on doing that, and so Tamar took matters into her own hands. Disguising herself as a prostitute, she waited by the roadside where Judah would pass, and Judah, not recognizing her, solicited for her services, and then she becomes pregnant. When her pregnancy is discovered, Judah, man, flips. Flips. He intended to have her punished because, remember, he didn't know that that was Tamar, that he got pregnant. So he flips, and then she was like, no, 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 hey, remember that night we had, and I took some ID from you? Well, hey, everybody, here's who I slept with. He recognized it, he acknowledged his wrongdoing, and he recognized he failed in his responsibility toward her to, to really to provide her an opportunity to provide an heir. And Tamar's actions 
definitely deceptive, definitely manipulative, and they were driven by her desperate situation as a desire to fulfill the obligation that was denied to her. And despite the flaws and the moral and questionable choices made by different individuals in this story, including Tamar, I don't want you to miss this, God's grace worked through the messiness of human decisions. And then you have Rahab. Rahab was another Canaanite woman living in the city of Jericho. She was a prostitute. She lived um, in the city known for his hostility toward God's people. Now, Joshua sent spies into the city to gather some information before their invasion. Rahab ends up sheltering them and protecting them. She confesses her faith in God, and they protect her and her family when they invade. Now, Rahab's story teaches that God's grace is extended to all, regardless of background, past choices, social standing, it doesn't matter, that his grace is extended to all. And her story shows that God values faith and repentance over someone's previous lifestyle. Rahab's transformation from a pagan society that rejected God, wanted nothing to do with God, now being part of the lineage of Jesus, highlights the power of God's redemptive work in people's lives. And then there's David. I mean, David was a man who was a valiant warrior, a respected king, but yet he was a flawed individual. Yeah, he had his victories against Goliath and all those different armies. He was established as a reverend king, I mean, where people respected him and revered him, but yet he still had his moral failures. One of the most well-known episodes in David's life involves his affair with Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, who was in David's special forces. And this extramarital relationship led to Bathsheba becoming pregnant. And to cover it up, he, he gets Uriah back and says, hey, spend some time with your wife, and that doesn't work. And then he puts him in the front line of the battle, and Uriah is killed. David's actions in this instant, in this episode, were marked by deception, adultery, and ultimately murder. And about a year later, we read in Psalm 51, David's heartfelt prayer of repentance, acknowledging his sin and pleading God to forgive him. And God, in his mercy, did forgive him. He did not abandon David. And although... There were consequences to his actions. God forgave him and continued to work through David. And then you have Manasseh. He reigned 55 years. He did evil. He went against God. He went, went against God's law. He was notorious for leading Judah into idolatry, setting up altars to false gods, and even placing an idol inside the temple. He practiced divination and witchcraft and introduced the worship of foreign gods engaging in practices that were strictly forbidden by God. Manasseh was responsible for shedding a lot of innocent blood as they would offer babies, and including his own sons, as sacrifices to these gods. His actions led to the corruption and moral decline of the nation. While in captivity as a slave, Manasseh repented and turned back to God. And despite his past evils, this change of heart and turning to God, acknowledging his wrongdoings is seen as an act of seeking redemption and mercy from God. 
See, as we stepped into Jesus's family tree, we see a lineage filled with individuals whose lives were marked by imperfections, struggles, scandal, and sin. From Tamar, who posed as a prostitute, to Rahab, an actual prostitute, to King David, an adulterer and murderer, and many others who were imperfect, sinful, and with baggage. Jesus' family history isn't one that you would expect for the Messiah. You would expect for God's Son. Matthew, including Jesus' relatives in this family tree, reminds us of our own stories. No matter how flawed or imperfect they may seem, they're not barriers to experiencing the grace and love that Christmas signifies. See, in fact, these stories show the very reason for the season that Jesus came to set you and I free. See, as we look at our own family tree and our own lives, we have the same human condition as these people listed in Jesus' family tree. We're not any different than they are. Then our lives may be filled with deception, manipulation, adultery, murder, and slavery. Maybe to modernize it, maybe we have an aunt on OnlyFans, or we have a dad cheating on our mom, or we have a grandma having an abortion, or our great-grandfather part of the KKK. It, it, look, it's natural for us to want to distance ourselves from people who've hurt us, who've embarrassed our family, who've brought shame on our family, and we want people who want to distance themselves from us. If we don't have people like that beside us or before us, we may be that person. We very well may be that person. And here's the truth. God closes the gap to all of us and wants a relationship with all of us. The truth is, that unconfessed sin brings shame. While confessed sin brings gratitude. Like where can you find gratitude in your family tree? Where can you see God redeeming those with scandal, sin, and shame in your family tree? When there's redemption in your story and your family tree, look, look there's no need for shame. In the Christmas story, is a continuation of God's work in our not-so-perfect lives. And I don't want you to miss this. The family tree of Jesus turns into the cross where we find love and redemption offered by God through Jesus. It's where deception and manipulation, adultery, murder, and slavery are forgiven. It's at the cross that we are made new. It's at the cross where we no longer need to be embarrassed and live in shame. It's at the cross where we are made free. And if we learn anything from Jesus' family tree. It's not that perfection of our lineage or the absence of struggles that defines our worthiness to receive forgiveness, to joy and love that Christmas represents. No, 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 no. Rather, it's understanding that Christmas is for everyone regardless of background, scandals, sin, and baggage. It's at the cross where Paul writes but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It speaks to the very heart of Christmas that in our imperfection, despite our past, despite our sin, we are unconditionally loved and accepted by God. 
Maybe you've never thought about this before. Here's what I want to say, and I want you to personalize it. Jesus didn't just die for me, but as he were me. See, Jesus not only died on our behalf, but also identified so intimately with us that he bore the weight of our sins as if they were his own. Hopefully, we saw this morning that God intentionally prepares us before we understand what we are being prepared for. And as you look back at your family tree and you look back at what Matthew wrote, you know what he's preparing you and I for, what he has prepared us for? He's prepared us for redemption and a life of purpose in him. Well, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the Christmas story. Thank you that there are people in this story just like us. People who struggle in sin and shame. I ask that you will help us understand that you have prepared us for two things. Redemption and a life of purpose in you. For those of us in the room, those watching online who have struggled, we have struggled with letting go and trusting you for forgiveness. Pass that you will break our will and our stubbornness. And then we realize how to be perfect. We just need to be forgiven. For, the, for those of us in the room who are followers of Jesus, I ask that you will remind us that you have purposed, you have purposed us to live on purpose and in purpose with you. Father, remind us this Christmas that you want those two things for us, redemption and a life of purpose. Father, help us to look back on our family tree and recognize that you've been working all along. You've been working all along so that people have a relationship with you. Help us to enjoy this Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen.